What is... what is in the podcast, Lord? Some mailbag questions, takeaways, and spice morsels, which I wish to hear. You will do nothing to interfere. There are no ad breaks in the podcast. How... how did you know what I feared was in the... Because you fear the ad breaks. They could convince you to sign up for Squarespace, but you avoid it. <laughs> I fear its other effects, Lord. A bountiful nature has decreed that ad breaks will unlock for some of us an unexpected revenue stream. Yet you fear this? I am Atreides, Lord. <laughs> then uh, sign up for our Patreon. You'll get ad-free episodes. <laughs> Moneo? Yeah. Moneo sounding like a real fucking cheapskate here. Support the show, okay? For all of the benefits of our... <laughs>
jump right into our chapter summaries for today. So, chapter 27 begins with Moneo anxiously joining Leto in his chamber for, y'all guessed it, another meeting. <laughs> we have a lot of meeting on the books this week. Uh -huh. Moneo is nervous, to say the least. He is uncomfortable because he has to deliver some bad news to the god emperor, and he's not sure whether this is going to trigger Leto and bring out the capital W worm. So Moneo's kind of like walking up into the room, preparing for the worst. He's like, Lord, the SAG strike might affect the release date of <laughs> Dune Part 2. Oh, Dune. No! <laughs> Utter rampage. <laughs> now, rather than deliver this bad news about the SAG strike and the Dune delay, Moneo starts the conversation off with a bit of a softball. Right. He tells Leto, hey, did you know that the Reverend Mother Antioch is actually an illegally trained mentat? How crazy is that? Yeah. And Leto's like, yeah, I've known this entire time, actually. <laughs> yeah. Which is just such a classic. He loves to pull that rug, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've known this whole time. I've just been pretending or just not bringing it up until you figured it out on your own. Right. So condescending. <laughs> At the end of the day, though, Leto, not bothered by this. Right. Antioch is a mentat. He's banned mentats throughout his empire, but he's going to let this one slide. He tells Moneo that the Bene Gesserit are bound to disobey him at some point throughout his rule. And this sort of like minor disobedience is actually more amusing than anything. He finds it kind of funny and yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe even useful for his plans and his machinations, but it's nothing that's going to disrupt the golden path. So this one gets to slide. I love that. Moneo's like, here's a bombshell. Leto's like, yes, isn't it funny? <laughs> Welcome to being in on the joke. <laughs> they think they're hiding it from me, those idiots. Right. Prime computation. Fucking dunking on you, Reverend Mothers. <laughs> Got him. Prime computation. Got him. <laughs> yeah, Leto, unfortunately, is already in on every joke you could ever tell him. True. He's a tough crowd. <laughs> Now, moving on to the main point of the meeting, let's get to the bad news. Yep. Moneo drops the bombshell that the Tleilaxu have revealed to him that Hui Nori is of Tleilaxu design. And we all know the Tleilaxu fucking suck. Yeah. Like earlier, Leto was like, ew, Duncan, let's get those rid of those clothes. They were touched by Tleilaxu. Exactly. Disgusting. And now we're finding <laughs> out that Hui is from at least their instructions and equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. That's a big deal. Plus, we already know Leto has survived an assassination attempt. Right. From the Tleilaxu. So everyone's on bad terms with the Tleilaxu. And to find out that Hui Nori, someone that Moneo clearly knows the God Emperor is affectionate toward. Right. Even that is maybe underselling it to realize that she is actually of Tleilaxu design, is terrible news, all things considered. And he reveals the details. He's like, hey, so I found out that Tleilaxu gave the Ixians instructions and equipment on how to produce not exactly a gola, like they're not giving up the secret sauce of how they make golas, but something close to that, sort of a cellular reconstruction is the way that Moneo puts it. Right. And in combination with this shielding device from the guild, 
the Ixians conducted these experiments in a secret chamber that Leto's prescience could not penetrate. All we know is that Malky went into this chamber at one point and later walked out holding an infant in his arms. And that infant is Huinori. Leto pulls the rug out again and is like, yeah, I kind of know all of this already, Moneo. Yeah. And Moneo's like, God, fuck it, damn it, man. <laughs> Leto doesn't know all the details, right? But through inference and through sort of seeing where the holes in his prescience are, he's been able to connect some dots through his conversations with Huinori, which we read in previous chapters. He's been able to connect more dots, and he has painted a picture of what the Ixians and the Tleilaxu and the guild are up to with their secret machine and their machinations with Huinori. Right. Moneo jumps into action. He's like, okay, this is good. You know this. Now I know this. We know how dangerous she is, right? We need to send Huinori back to Tleilax immediately. To which Leto's like, fuck no! Stop right there! <laughs> yeah. Stop that line of thinking. Don't do that, actually. It's perfectly okay. Huinori can stay. And in fact, he even admonishes Moneo. He's like, aren't you an Atreides? Atreides tackle traps and danger head on. Think of Leto's own namesake, Duke Leto, and the yeah. trap of Arrakis all the way back in the first book. Yeah. They knew that was a trap going into it, and they faced it head on, and they had a plan for it. Atreides, that's what they do. Moneo, that's what we're going to do here. We know right. Huinori is a trap set by the Ixians, and we are going to spring the trap and actually overcome it. Yeah, same with Paul and Hate, right? He's Absolutely. like, you a trap? You a trap here to kill me? Hate's like, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, actually, and He's like, yeah. nice, all right, up top. Cool, nice right. to meet you, bro. <laughs> exactly. So Leto sort of shames Maneo here. He's like, hey, you're an Atreides, right? So act like one. We're going to face this danger head on. Next, Leto gives Moneo two very important tasks. Right. One, he's got to go grab Huinori for another meeting. I got to talk to her immediately. <laughs> yeah. And two- I just came up with a great TED talk. Quickly, get me a new <laughs> <Quickly>. audience member. <laughs> and the second task is that Moneo needs to make sure that Siona receives this incoming Amazon package, which contains translations of the stolen journals. Leto wants her to read them. Right. And it's here that we learn Moneo is actually deathly afraid that his daughter will get her hands on Spice. And Moneo's fears, we learn, are rooted in his genetics as an Atreides. Spice for the Atreides doesn't just mean immunity, long life, maybe some cool blue eyes. Right. For the Atreides, it means horrible visions of the future. Visions that Moneo knows have forced Leto to make the horrible choices that he has in his life. He sounds like he doesn't really want to know that as viscerally. Like he can maybe intellectually learn it from Leto. He doesn't want to be seeing the visions himself. It sounds fucking horrible. Right. And Moneo knows better than most that prescience is terrible. Knowing the future is not <laughs> yeah, as yeah, yeah. awesome as it's cracked up to be. Right. Quote, sometimes, Lord, I think the spice is the Atreides curse. End quote. Yeah. Really powerful statement from Maneo there. Yeah. Yeah. Leto understands this probably better than most, honestly. But he does say, hey, despite the risks, look at what the spice lets us do, right? The guild can travel. 
the Bene Gesserit have all of these incredible abilities. The spice is a tool, and it enables as much as it threatens, and what matters is how we use it right. and how we utilize it. Now, to wrap up the chapter, before dismissing Moneo, Leto, <laughs> this is so weird, makes one <laughs> final claim about the Orange Catholic Bible, and he says that this will help the major domo calm down Hui's anxieties when he goes to get her. Quote, Eve was not the first to pluck and sample the apple. Adam was first, and he learned by this, to put the blame on Eve. My story tells you something about how our societies find a structural necessity for subgroups. End quote. <laughs> now, Moneo basically has no clue how this is supposed to help him with Hui Nori specifically. Right. It's an interesting point, a larger point about society, sure. How does that help in like his meeting with Hui? No idea. And to be fair, we're going to side with Moneo on this one as well, <laughs> yeah. because I did some research. There's like little to no conversations at all about this line online. And personally, I don't really have an interpretation of what Leto is trying to say here. And yeah. I think you're in the same boat as well. Like we both sort of racked our brains and couldn't figure out like what he's really trying to get at. So this is where we need your help, dear listener. We'd love to hear your interpretations and what your thoughts are about this Adam and Eve story and why Leto would tell Moneo specifically at this moment right. and specifically in the context of Huinori, this little detail. Like I found every time I went down the like analytical rabbit hole of what could this mean and like willing yeah. to be stretchy and willing to like reach a little bit, it's still very seldom tied back to anything related to Hui and like, yes, go get her. Oh, this will help calm her down. <laughs> Me. Uh, hmm. Right. Tell her a story about a religion she's probably never heard of. Like you're a subgroup to her. I don't, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. yeah so yeah. related it, it's to It's a great Fui. point about just like society in general yeah. and groups blaming other groups and scapegoats and right, there's right. sort of a larger point to be made here but it is confusing what it could mean in the context of we so come to our podcast at gmail.com dear listener help us out on this one i also did find quite a few like christians making the argument that it was adam who ate the apple first yeah i found those too and i was like does this hold water? And then I found other Christians going, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's like, okay, I don't, it seems like I don't have a horse in that race. It's fine. I don't have an Wait, apple people in that disagree race. on religion, Leo? Only once or twice in the history of humanity, but we found one of them, one of the two times. Yeah. Well, that weird anecdote carries us into chapter 28. Mm. And our second chapter today joins Queenery. Tleilaxu hey. abomination, Wienery. <laughs> and we've also learned she's genocidal. <laughs> Indeed. Less than an hour later. So this is less than an hour later. She's been summoned as she enters Leto's audience room. Right. Now, his reason for summoning Hui is simple. She is to meet with Antioch and tell her everything about her childhood. Every little detail, no matter how insignificant, so right. that the Reverend Mother has as much information as possible when she goes to investigate Ix. Mm. And Hui is like, why are you sending her to Ix? And Leto gives her this little story that the Ixians at one point had a plan to make 
a literally awful sounding piece of technology. <laughs> yeah, Just for real. Literally, the like, what could go wrong? The answer is everything. Everything. Piece of technology. Yeah. Quote, a type of hunter seeker, self-propelled death with a machine mind. It was to be designed as a self-improving thing, which would seek out life and reduce that life to its inorganic matter. End cool. quote. Cool, 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 cool. Fucking cool, cool. why? That's exactly the worst idea. <laughs> Not even like this was meant to get rid of these predators we're dealing with. No, it's just life. It's just a life-ending, yeah. self-improving machine yeah. mind hunter seeker. It's like when people say we should put AI into guns. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no. Yeah. In fact, we should be making guns harder to use. You should have to like unlock a 12-piece puzzle to fire a fucking gun. <laughs> Identify like, a CAPTCHA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There the, should be CAPTCHAs. Select the fire hydrants to use the gun. And you're like, <laughs> okay, that's a fire hydrant. That's a fire hydrant. <laughs> and then you always miss the one goddamn blurry fire hydrant in the back. And then you're like, am I a fucking robot? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely terrible idea from the Ixians here. Yeah. And it's kind of a cover story, too, because she's like, they're working on that. And he's like, no, but it'll give Antioch reason to explore yeah. where you were raised so we can know more about your birth and your childhood. And he's like, I see what you're doing. Oh, oh that's kind of oh, crafty, crafty. Yeah. So sneaky. She's such a good hype woman, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You really want we around when you need someone to hype you up. Yeah. She's very quick to compliment. She's great. Now, she gets up to leave. And Leto's like, no, no, we can't like end so quickly because the like omnipresent observers <laughs> will say that, blah, blah, blah. But it's uh -huh, like, uh -huh. clearly he just wants to hang out with this beautiful girl. You know, 100%. 100%. He's like, no, you, there's uh, wolves in the hallway. I put them there. Hang out with me for longer. Right, right. It's like when you're in college and the girl you have a crush on comes over to your dorm and you're hanging out and it's getting late mm -hmm. and you're just like, maybe one more rerun of Friends? Like, yeah, just one more. It's like 3 a.m. Yeah, totally. Very contrived. Normally he plays 5D chess. This is 2D chess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is traditional chess. So while they are putting on this charade of not hastily ending the meeting, Leto brings up the worm-sized elephant in the room yeah. The marriage proposal thing? <laughs> you got any questions, Hui? And as always, Hui, the Tleilaxu abomination, uh -huh. responds perfectly. Quote, you will provide the answers as I require them. It was a statement of such trust that it stopped Leto's voice. End quote. Damn. Yo, our boy. Consider that for a moment. <laughs> Something <laughs> shut Leto the fuck up. Yeah. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. Dude, stop talking for a second. It was great. But she does ask, I want to know more about your golden path and about yeah. your motivations. Like, why are you doing this? And also all of these sacrifices you've made. She more than pretty much anybody else immediately keyed into how sad and lonely and solitary his life is. So she's like, can you tell me more about that? And he does. <laughs> His stopped voice starts again. Oh, he yeah. He talks for fucking hours, <laughs> which we're going to talk about in our takeaways. 
because he's talking about his golden path and his the four deaths and all this stuff. So right. we'll talk about that a little bit later. Now, near the end of his TED Talk, Leto makes an observation about death. It is the most profound experience for a living being, and one cannot appreciate life without understanding death. Right. The yin and yang idea of knowing something by knowing its opposite. Totally. And as he explains, near-death experiences help one value life. Things like diseases or injuries, accidents, as someone going through physical therapy right now for my ankle. <laughs> God damn, I appreciate working ankles just yeah. so much now. Right. It's not until you feel the lack of a thing that yeah. you appreciate how much you have it, you know, the things we take for granted. Oh, totally. Yes. And so accidents, combat, injuries, disease, amtal, right? All of these things mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. relate to one another. And circling around to gender, he posits that women have a unique near-death experience, which is childbirth. Yeah. Very, like, you cannot separate the potential, but also you understand death through creating life and right. that childbirth moment. And we have this excerpt, quote, and it's the survivors who maintain the most light and poignant hold upon the beauties of living. Women know this more often than men because birth is the reflection of death, end quote. Mm -hmm. And Hui, very quick-witted, starts connecting the dots and realizes that Leto's all-female fish speakers are meant to survive the incoming explosion of the empire. Thanks in large part to their innate appreciation of death and their like experience with life and birth yep. and that duality. Right. Think back on the St. Oak ceremony, how there was yeah. a whole line of retiring fish speakers with right. children who were now about to become mothers right? and raise these children. And so that is intrinsically part of fish speaker life and fish speaker culture Right, is childbirth. And Leto is saying that's something unique to women. It's right. that yin-yang idea, right? You're creating life, and so you understand death. But also, childbirth in and of itself is an extremely deadly experience yeah. for many women throughout history. And so, for many, it can be this near brush with death, right? which, again, makes them appreciate life even more. So... This is all very intrinsic into fish speaker culture and something that Leto has built into his female army. Yeah, it's very true. This is also, by the way, opposed to the experience of men within Leto's universe, because he points out that like during Leto's piece, one of the things that he has been restricting is the availability of kind of casual violence and combat from yep. men's lives. Yes. So he has this like women fighting force who not only, as we've said, have this sort of piece of their experience if they decide to give birth to children, like that's a piece of their experience. They also now have sole dominion over combat and fighting and wars and like mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. that SEAL Team 6 hit squad. <laughs> yes. Compared to maybe historically, especially when like women weren't allowed to be in the army and things like that men have understood and come to terms with death through deployment and through military action and through fighting and violence and blah, 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 fighting yeah. for the tribe and all of that. <laughs> so it really is him kind of drawing up those clear divisions between the innate 
experiences available to the genders, but also his very calculated handling of what does my Imperium look like for men? What does my Imperium right. look like for women? And why? Right. And we'll talk later about like setting up the cycles of the universe so that like Absolutely. the following cycle reacts to it and etc. Yeah, definitely. And I almost saw this revelation because this is a revelation, right? Yeah. Moneo, Duncan, others who are close to Leto have not realized the yeah. purpose of the fish speakers. Yes. Who yeah. is the one who connects the dots here? <laughs> yeah. And this ultimate purpose of the fish speakers to almost be these like guiding mothers of humanity that try to save and teach as many of them as possible about life and death so that humanity can appreciate life and death on the same level that women intrinsically do because of childbirth, as Leto posits. That is an interesting role for them to play, right? That almost yeah. takes the military aspect out of it and turns them into these like mentors and nurturers and mothers, you know, essentially. Matriarchs. Matriarchs. That's <laughs> yeah. a better word, yeah. yeah. For all of humanity yeah. rather than just for their own children. So it's interesting. Like they're almost the example that Leto is setting and he's using them. You know, once again, they are a tool for him to craft the golden path and ensure that humanity survives in the future and in particular survives this like pressure cooker environment that he's been building for the yeah, last 3000 years yeah which again we'll talk about in the takeaways later but there is going to be an explosion of humanity and violence and death and famine and the fish speakers are going to be the ones who appreciate death the most and thus survive it and their role is to help others in humanity including all of the men who no longer contend with death as much right their role is to help them survive it as well. Yeah. It also does lend credence to the earlier claims that some of the fish speakers were being demilitarized. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which I know we were kind of like, was that propaganda? Was that like a calculated kind of bluff? Was that a white lie? Mm -hmm, but it mm -hmm. combined with all of this, it seems pretty likely that that is happening. Totally. Great as point. he sets up the next cycle. But hilariously, Moving on, we <laughs> observes that quote. I loved this. <laughs> Most men have no principles. Hello. The women of X complain about it constantly. <laughs> End quote. I don't know why I just thought of like the Real Housewives of X would be like a pretty oh fun. I would watch the fuck out of that <laughs> show. Yeah. But yeah, most men have no principles. Also reminds me one of my favorite movies is Porco Rosso, the Ghibli, Ghibli. studio Ghibli yeah. movie, mm -hmm. and that line where Theo is like. Mr. Rosa, why are you a pig? And he responds, all middle-aged men are pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's also Michael Keaton. It's the voice of Parker, So, Oh, I didn't know. Hashtag Batman. But yes, this most men have no principles leads Leto slash kind of Frank to make some like very pointed commentary on administrators <laughs> yeah. about how good ones are decisive and honest while bad ones are hesitant and prone to making excuses. I can't help but think about Chernobyl like watching that movie, just the number of administrators and bureaucrats who were dodging responsibility and how mm -hmm. much worse that made everything versus mm -hmm. just saying, there is a problem. It's my fault, but we need to fix it is valuable. Right. There's an incredible quote from this passage. Quote, the difference between a good administrator and a bad one is about five heartbeats. Good administrators make immediate choices. I love that. Because then yeah. Hui pushes back in like a way that does feel like hashing out. She's like, what about bad choices? And he's like, it's better to like have made a choice and to act than to be yeah. like caught in this 
trying to think of everything. It's yeah, it's very practical in a cool way. It's very what's that phrase? Act now and ask for forgiveness later. Yeah, that's the side that Frank is very much taking here. Right, and th this feels like such a direct shot at like <laughs> whatever administration was in power when he was writing these words. Yeah. Like totally. Frank's heard some shit on the radio and was pissed about it in politics. And he wrote this section for sure. Well, and it's all of society moves so slow because yeah. people are afraid yeah. of big corporations. Yeah. You know, and there's we've lobbyists. all had that shitty manager. Yeah. There's lots and lots of systems in place that slow down radical change within society, which is good sometimes. And then we see things like when the COVID pandemic happened, like the speed with which the scientific community rallied and got a bunch of shit done was yeah. amazing. But it's truly it's like only in times of crisis do we see how effective things can be if people are not like afraid to just make choices. Right. Maybe. But anyway, love that little quote. And Leto kind of acknowledges that his administrators, the ones that he chooses, are often rebels start off as yeah. these sort of like decisive Again, maybe making bad choices, but making them quickly and boldly and honestly. <laughs> you know, yes. Siona's yeah. out here wearing her heart on her sleeve. She's like, fuck you, God, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, right. yo, okay. she would be a good administrator. <laughs> I like that gumption. The cut of her jib. Hell yeah. <laughs> because again, even against a God, these are people who are willing to like take a stand and do a right. thing. Leto's like, yeah, that's a grade. You can't teach that. That's a quality that I want. You know, you can teach the other stuff. Can't teach that. Totally. I love this point that he makes, especially the point about I am effectively suicide for anyone who stands up against me, right? Right. Like, yeah. I'm a brick wall. You are not about to kick down. Yeah. And yet, these rebels keep walking up and trying to kick as hard as they can. And rather than being annoyed by that, or rather than trying to crush the rebellion and stop the kicks... He hires them. <laughs> yeah. He admires that. He admires that even against a godlike figure like him, these people with principles still fight because they believe so strongly in something. It's why he admires Siona so much. It's why yeah. Moneo is such a great major domo, is because at one point Moneo was trying to take Leto down. Yeah, yeah. And I love this point. This has been a through line throughout the whole book, right? This idea of rebels and utilizing them. Leto talked about this all the way back in like chapter two, chapter yeah, three. Totally. We can see he still believes it strongly here. Yeah. And then every time a rebel kicks him, he's like, mm, that didn't hurt. I didn't even feel it. I'm immune to kicks. I'm immune. I'm immune. I'm immune. Get out of the room. Get out of the room. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the chapter comes to a close as Hui asks him how he intends to use her. Are you going to make me an administrator? And he's like, no, no, no. I've got administrators. Will you marry me, though? Hello. That's the question. <laughs> and we not bothered. Quote, yeah. a faint smile touched her lips. Women, too, can make decisions. I will wed you. End quote. Bam. Bam. There's some Five real... heartbeats. If she had waited five heartbeats <laughs> to yeah. answer. Yeah. Never I mind, I take it her. back. <laughs> that was seven heartbeats. I can hear you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's hot as fuck. We did. It is. I, I got a little like, ooh, yeah. that's oh, electric. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. That's Definitely. Cool. Confidence like that is hot, folks. Yo, this Clay Laxu abomination who's into genocide, <laughs> confident. <laughs> I dig it. Love it.
Love it. Swipe right. I also want to share one final thing. And I know that this is the final quote that people we ended on. But in the context of this chapter, I don't know why it really jumped out at me. It's that final line where Hui's getting ready to leave and she goes, could you be wrong about your golden yeah. path? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. is there a possibility of failure? And Leto says, quote, anything and anyone can fail, but brave, good friends help. Beautiful. End quote. It's just such a good line. I mean, we talked earlier in the mailbag about tattoos. Brave, good friends help. Pretty solid. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Frank really on a podium during this chapter. Had to get some feelings out. Well, that is our two chapters from today, chapters 27 and chapters 28. Let's now take a quick breather because up next, we are diving deep into Leto's TED Talks from today's reading. You're not going to want to miss it. Takeaways right after this, folks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed your break. Let's talk about our takeaways from today's reading. And our first takeaway today is Leto's four deaths. Mm. <laughs> Dude is denied dying, so he claims four deaths. <laughs> now, when Fui asks Leto about his motivations for his life choices, why the worm body? Why these thousands of years of stagnation? What are you doing? <laughs> right. He is like, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Here's my <laughs> new book that I've just published. <laughs> And he talks about his golden path and his place in it. And specifically, he talks about how, although, yes, over the last few thousand years, his extended life has been for the purpose of sort of like changing the flow of time and changing the destiny of humanity, yeah. his deaths are going to be a catalyst for ensuring and kind of cementing that future. Right. And for this takeaway, we wanted to focus on those four deaths. Quote, the death of the flesh, the death of the soul, the death of the myth, and the death of reason, end quote. Okay. He also makes clear that within each of these deaths is its own seed of resurrection, which he doesn't mean, of course, himself. There are reasons why that is not the case, but another kind of important other side to each coin, basically. Yeah, definitely. So... Leto begins, before even getting to the deaths, by simply trying to make Hui understand prescience yeah. in a way that she can comprehend. And he uses this analogy of a waterfall to try and explain the golden path. This is what he says. Quote, Seeing futures is a vision of a continuum in which all things take shape like bubbles forming beneath the waterfall. You see them, and then they vanish into the stream. If the stream ends, it is as though the bubbles never were. That stream is my golden path, and I saw it end. End quote. 
What a good little, and I oh. saw it end really punches, doesn't it? That punches. That makes it clear that if the golden path fails, humanity is gone. Yeah. Right? Leto's entire purpose is to prevent the stream of humanity from drying up. And that is why he has made so many of these choices, because his visions have shown him a possibility of that stream ending. And he is doing everything he can to prevent it. Right. And Hui clarifies. She's like, okay, that's making a lot more sense to me now. You're trying to save the stream, and yep. that's why you did the gross worm body thing and the 3,000 years of tyranny. Yeah. Is that working? Has the stream been changed thanks to what you've done? Right. And he explains, quote, it is changing. The change comes not only from the manner of my life, but from the manner of my death, end quote. Right. I.e., the four deaths. And going through these four deaths, right? Death of flesh, death of the soul, death of the myth, and death of the reason. Let's kind of visit each one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we know the kind of most obvious one is the death of the flesh, right? The death right. of the body, the death of not only his eventual worm body, but also like his human body and the death yeah. of his yeah. physicality. We get specific things. I don't have a skull anymore. It's like, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Ew. And no more genitalia. <laughs> I don't have a skull or genitals. And you're like, I just got here. Can we have like more preamble before you drop these <laughs> factoids on me? <laughs> and it's been going on for 3000 years, right? His physical body, yeah. his emotional, mental humanity are fading. We just did an episode on Ganema, and she talked about her brother, it feeling like he's not even himself anymore. Yep. Only 300 years into the 3,000 years that we are now seeing. Exactly. So he says at the end of Children of Dune that he's got about a 4,000-year timer on this transformation, and meaning we only really have like 500-ish years left. Right, of right. Worm Lato. <laughs> I'll also point out then that like his end, he has said is the beginning of worms again. Like it'll be the return of the worms to Arrakis. Right. So if we're talking about the seeds of resurrection, the death of the flesh is the seed of resurrection of the life of the sandworms and life. Right. Of the, the return of the worms, the return, the return of, the of spice yeah. to Arrakis. For so sure. that's one. The other possibility is that like golas are sort of a return of life from flesh, but that gets a little into Brian territory. So I don't like it. <laughs> Point is death of the flesh and then that seed of resurrection. For sure. Now, the next death is the death of the soul. Yeah. And this is something that Leto has discussed with Hui already in a previous chapter. We talked about how his consciousness will break apart into countless little pieces. Once his physical body has died, he will be lost in this semi-conscious dream state in a billion, trillion, countless different little moats forever for the rest of eternity. Right. In her past book club, I had said that Leto is not only giving up his life, any normal life he could have had, but through this death of the soul, he is also giving up any sort of normal, peaceful death he could have had. Right. He doesn't get to just fade into oblivion or go to heaven or whatever he gets to live on for the rest of eternity in this weird semi-conscious state where he has no power 
and is living in just this like half dream right. forever right. within every little sandworm in the future. So my interpretation of that is the death of his soul. That is the death of what makes Leto Leto. It breaks apart into a million different pieces. What would effectively be his soul? Yeah. And I'm not sure what the seed of resurrection is <laughs> for this one. Yeah. It's kind of the one that doesn't seem as much, but also soul. Like, what is the soul? Anyway, it doesn't right. super matter. Right. And it could also simply just be the return of the sandworms again. You know, yeah, it could yeah. be the same answer that in order for the sandworms to return, they need some sort of quote unquote purpose. And maybe his consciousness is the purpose they have. Yeah. Good point. Now we have the death of the myth. And this is where I think the conversation gets a little bit more interesting because as Hui asks what will happen to Leto's religion once he's gone, he basically acknowledges like, yeah, people will worship me for a while after I'm yeah. gone. Yeah. But Hui observes that even that will eventually change, right? Quote, but when forever ends, there will be anger. There will be denial. Some will say you were just an ordinary tyrant. End quote. Ooh, that stings. And Leto responds hilariously, quote, delusion, he agreed. <laughs> End quote. Tell us how you really feel, Leto. Yeah, he's kind of full of himself. The tyrant is like, sorry, capital T? Yeah. And this is part of the reason that Leto is dedicated to documenting everything in his journals with the Dictatel, so that humanity far in the future can learn the truth about his tyranny and not fall prey to delusions that he was simply a tyrant or simply a god. Yeah. He was neither. He, yep. he was a complex, began as a human, ended as a worm, but had his intentions and motivations. And that for me is where the seed of resurrection is, is like the myth of Leto, this god, this being who kind of gives to the universe, gives yeah. peace and gives you know, stability and gives people, I don't know, nice lives and peaceful villages will eventually be reduced down to a simple tyrant. But then that's where his journals kick in and he can kind right. of revive not exactly his religion, but simply his complexity and what he's doing all this for. Right. The resurrection part of it will be once people discover and read his journals and understand there was more to this than we thought. Yeah. And he was not the labels that we have ascribed to him for yeah. centuries. Consider the takeaway from a few yeah, yeah, episodes yeah. ago about truth and words and labels and how words can never capture the complexity of even a regular human being, let alone a 3,500-year-old <laughs> worm god. So yeah, I completely agree with you. This death of the myth kind of has some cycles. Like First, it'll be his religion dying and people thinking he's just a tyrant and remembering him as such. And then a resurrection of understanding once they see his journals and right. presumably see the fuller picture of who Leto to Atreides was. Yeah. Now, finally, we have what is maybe the most puzzling of these four deaths. We have the death of reason. Yeah. And confusingly, neither Leto nor Hui expand on this fourth death or get into it in any way because the conversation just sort of takes a very sharp right turn into talking about Leto's empire and the shape of the empire and these cycles, which we'll talk about shortly. And you had looked up some theories, but this is another thing from today's reading that had stumped me. I am not quite sure what the death of reason could be. 
and maybe it's something we won't understand until later in the book. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I looked it up. I did some perusing around different mm -hmm. chat boards and seeing what people thought. Because like the word reason can be used in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah. And there are two possibilities that I saw that seemed pretty compelling. The weaker of the two is that the death of reason is the point at which even the non-believers and the secular non-religious folk who are like, oh, mm -hmm. he was never a god, he was just a tyrant. Even yeah. when they have lost any sense of who Leto was and why he did what he did is one possibility, which it's like, okay. sure, yeah. It's sort of like when we're talking about the death of myth, doesn't that really only apply to the people who believed in the myths? So like mm. the reason being the other side of that, maybe. Interesting. But I think the more compelling possibility is that if we say the reason is the reason for his life and the reason for him as like his piece of eternity is creating and protecting and curating the golden path, well, there may be a point if the golden path is the things we need to do to preserve the survival of humanity, there may be a point where humanity becomes effectively infinite where like after some catalytic thing happens, humanity will never not be just because of whatever, whatever. Yeah. He, he does such a good job of preparing humanity to survive. Humanity will never not survive. And yeah. at that moment, the golden path and his reason no longer has any meaning and is done. There's no reason for the golden path anymore because the alternative is not possible. That Ooh. stream will never dry. So we talk about each of these resurrections, people finding his journals or the worms coming back and the spice. And all of those things are pieces of this golden path, bricks along the golden path. Yeah. There is a point eventually where his contributions to humanity's survival will be long forgotten. Right. Humanity will just be surviving. Yeah. And the thing that I found compelling was that is the death of reason, is the kind of final stage where... Hmm. I love that. I love that, actually. Do you know that theory? I forget what it's called. It's like the Great Barrier Theory or something for why we haven't met alien life in yeah, the galaxy. terrifying. <laughs> this theory that like eventually, as civilizations advance, there are barriers, right? First you discover fire, and then you discover agriculture. Right. And you overcome these barriers, you advance through them, industrial age, whatever, whatever. But there's a theory that eventually life gets so advanced that there is some barrier that ultimately ends it forever. This yeah. extinction level barrier that no one has been able to surpass. And thus, we haven't met any advanced aliens more advanced than us because no one has made it past that barrier or something. This kind of reminds me of that. Like, perhaps yeah. Leto's job is to just get humanity up to and through that last barrier yeah. via the golden path, and then it's done. And yeah. then the death of his reason for existing is over. Right. The death is complete now. So I love that. I really like that second theory, and it makes me think of that great barrier idea. Yeah, it's Kurtzkesakt. The In a Nutshell folks on YouTube, the animated videos, do a really good job about mm -hmm. explaining the great barriers, if that's interesting to any of our listeners. Yeah, it's a really depressing theory, so look <laughs> it up at your own risk. Yeah, all of those videos are very existential. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was the death of reason and subsequent theories I yep. found. I love that. No, great job on that research. I really like that idea. Yeah. So that's our first takeaway, these four deaths of Leto. 
But as usual, we have barely made a dent in this fucking TED Talk. There is more to explore here. And so that leads us into our second takeaway for today, which is the shape of Leto's empire. This is sort of where the conversation takes a turn next. And so let's hone in a little further. As Leto is talking about his golden path and explaining yeah. all of this to Hui, he hits on this idea of the shape of his empire and how that will influence the future of humanity. He tells her, quote, each cycle is a reaction to the preceding cycle. If you think about the shape of my empire, then you know the shape of the next cycle, end quote. Yeah. And I think that's key to understanding this takeaway. So I want everyone to really keep this in mind as we dig further into this. That quote, cycles being a reaction and knowing the current one helps you understand the next one. Yeah. It's also a very Buddhist idea. Yeah. But like everything is cause and effect. Like every mm -hmm. action, everything has an effect. So everything right. that exists is an effect of something that happened before. Everything has a cause. And yeah. you look at that in cycles or lives. You know, it's like if something happens to you really wonderfully in your life or really terribly in your life, it's a reaction to something that happened in the previous life. Right. The true definition of karma, actually. Yeah. Like karma has sort of been popularized as this like you'll get your comeuppance, but that's not actually what karma means. Right. Karma is just all about actions equal reactions. Yeah. And so that's your karma. The reaction of what your action is the karma you got. <laughs> I'm glad you know about that because yeah. I've, I've ended up on a soapbox <laughs> so many goddamn times just like ranting about how the word karma is like meaningless. It's like yeah. either yeah, yeah, yeah. so pedestrian, you hit something, your hand hurts. That's not karma. That's cause and effect. Yeah. Karma is bigger than that. It is. So <laughs> Hui, for her part, continuing with our takeaway here, yeah. Hui, for her part, does her best to try and understand Leto's empire, the shape of the empire. She's trying to wrap her head around it. Right. And she even kind of pushes back. I loved this moment. She pushes back on him with this idea of space travel because she says, quote, holding people planet bound keeps them out of mischief, end quote. You hold them planet bound. You ban the Spacing Guild from allowing free travel across your empire, interstellar travel. Yeah. And Leto explains, yeah, I mean, I do that, fair, but there's a reason. There's much more than just keeping people out of trouble. Right, right. What this does, confining people in this way, is it builds within them this like desperate need to travel and see new things. And so, quote, Eventually, travel comes to mean freedom, end quote. Right. That is the true purpose of him banning interstellar travel for the average person in the empire. Right. Like it's in a casual way. Travel is just travel. You're going to another planet. You're yeah. doing some shipping, whatever. But if you haven't been allowed to do that forever, even it's like, I just want to travel. I don't even right. care where because the act of traveling, like Siona is not like, I want to go to... Gamont. I was going to say Gamont, but <laughs> I think she's young. She's not allowed to go there yet. Moneo true, won't allow true. her. It's like, when you're older, you can go to Gamont. But like, you know, she's not saying, I want to go to Poritrin. She's like, I want to be able to leave. And right. she's demonstrating that exact thing. For yes. the right-minded people, travel has become synonymous with freedom. It means that you are free to do that thing, and you're free to choose. And that choice is everything. Right. 
and the desire for travel is almost an act of rebellion, right? right. Against Leto's empire. And all of this is starting to click for Hui because right, right. she recognizes the danger in this powder keg strategy that Leto's doing. She's starting to understand the shape of the empire. And she's like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. If the pressure keeps building up in the kettle, then shit's going to blow eventually. She says, won't this unleash desperate violence across the empire at some point? What are you doing? And Leto's reaction to this is so casual. I yeah, laughed yeah, yeah. when I read this. He's basically just like, shrug. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm doing, Hui. I am raising the temperature on this pressure cooker more and more and more until people like Siona are desperate to travel, until they are desperate for any scrap of freedom that I do not give them, that they are desperate to break out of this stagnation this molasses that humanity is stuck in. That's what I'm doing. It's all on purpose. Yeah. And I want that violence yes. to yeah, unleash. Exactly. Yeah. Dramatically. <laughs> She's like, it's going to blow. So many people will die. It's going to be terrible. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Exactly. Yes. That's the plan. Look at my whiteboard. It's like plan. Step one, kill lots of people. <laughs> he's like, it's a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, why are you backing away? You look pale. <laughs> like, yeah, you okay? Yeah. Right. And of course, Leto even recognizes like the reason she's backing away and looking pale is because this is sweet, sweet, empathetic Hui. Yeah. This is the only reaction she is capable of having to death on this scale. It's just horror. Yeah. And to be fair, it's a, it's a gruesome picture. And he paints it for it us. Is? He, <laughs> yes. he he's, explains in no uncertain terms that famine just not enough food for the number of people and violence will spread like wildfire across every planet in his empire, which is yeah. tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of planets engulfing humanity and leaving only the strong. Holy shit. Omtal on a galactic scale. He's yeah. like, <laughs> just he's spraying that kills 99.9% .9 of germs and bacteria. <laughs> he's like, that 1% is going to be fucking powerful. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. 0.1% going to be impossible to kill right we are the ants in leto's playground yeah and only the one percent will survive yeah and sweet wholesome play laxu abomination we is horrified <laughs> she's like that's terrible naturally and leto continues quote as the land refuses to support the people the survivors will crowd into smaller and smaller refugees a terrible selection process will be repeated on many worlds. Explosive birth rates and dwindling food. Oh my End quote. god. It's like, why are you laughing? Uh, <laughs> like, later, right. why are you smiling so He's big? like, says this with a smile, the whole, very Shinra of him. Like, <laughs> he can't yeah. stop smiling. He explains how it'll continue. Quote, until the sandworm reigns once more on Arrakis, uh. we will have tested ourselves by then with a profound experience shared by all. We will have learned that a thing which can happen on one planet can happen on any planet. End quote. Wow. And that profound experience, that thing that can happen on any planet is death, is right. famine, is the dangers of that kind of competition and that sort of 
imbalance of resources and yeah it's wild pretty diabolical really puts the whole yeah. 61 billion of paul's jihad in perspective <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking a about a blip when you're talking about explosive birth rates on every planet and famine and violence killing all except the strong okay yeah. <laughs> wow brutal brutal stuff it's a tough lesson and leto even makes it clear that this period of human suffering that's coming will be so bad yeah. that people will look back on the days of my tyranny. They will look back on my rule with like rose tinted glasses, yeah, right? They totally. will long for the time of my tyranny because it'll be so horrible for some time until the sandworms come back. And ultimately, like sort of zooming out, we, the reader, as well as Leto, know this is necessary. Or at least we understand this is necessary because Leto and his infinite other memory tells us it is and his visions of the future tells us it is. Right. It is the ultimate lesson and it's the lesson that Leto has to teach humanity in order to guarantee its survival against the dangers to come, both internal and external, right? It's not like there's some war coming and everyone's got to toughen up. We don't know what the dangers are, but we do know that they are existential. Yeah. And that these dangers are extinction-level events that will wipe out humanity. And thus, Leto has to do this in order to help humanity survive, in order to set them up for survival, much like he's done on a smaller scale with his fish speakers. Right. So to sort of wrap up this takeaway, I want us to think back to that earlier quote about cycles and reactions. Keeping that in mind, we, like we, can now understand the shape of Leto's empire. Yeah. The next cycle of humanity will be a reaction to the current one. This current cycle is this extra long, drawn out, 3,500 year cycle of oppression and stagnation under the god emperor Leto to Atreides. And Leto is cranking up the heat again on that pressure cooker of humanity and prepping it to explode out in this violent expression of ultimate freedom and expansion and also death yeah. life and death yin and yang both have to happen at extreme levels and thinking about this sort of on a whole dune series level this is very in line right with a lot of the very core pillars of dune the core themes of dune yeah the ideas against institutional and cultural and scientific stagnation for example the warnings against charismatic leaders like Leto or Paul or messiahs of any kind, the warnings and many political rants throughout the books <laughs> against yeah. bureaucracies, you know, bad administrators. All of these are such core ideas to Dune, and Leto's entire purpose is to teach the harshest lesson humanity has ever learned. Yeah, it's very true. And it's also just... One of the reasons we wanted to highlight this is because keeping in mind that the shape of his empire is kind of winding that cog, tightening that spring. Yeah. It really does give you an idea of maybe what's to come. And it's the whole point of all of it. So anyway, yes, a couple of takeaways for you there. That's right. We have some spice morsels to serve. Yum. Up. Yum. Indeed. I am hungry. But we're going to take a quick break. So don't go anywhere. You don't want to miss some spice morsels. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back, folks. 
let's round out today's episode by chomping down on these delicious mm. cream-filled mm-hmm. spice morsels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are they a dessert? We've never clarified what we don't need to. They're we'll like crepes. They can be savory. They can be sweet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. good. That's good. Our first spice morsel today is Erlen Malky. Ever heard of him? Yep. Now, we've heard reference to Queen Nori's uncle and or biological father, Malky, a number of times throughout the book so far. Although, actually, no. now we know <laughs> biological f- source. Biological source, for sure, right. Yeah. She is effectively some sort of like clone, clone Gola thing sort of, of thing. Malky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Moneo has confirmed <laughs> for us today. Yeah. So it's about time to dig into the encyclopedia and try to learn what we can about Malky because we've heard so much about him. So here's what the Dune Encyclopedia tells us. Erlen Malky was born in 13,632 HE to parents Piter <gasps> and Charmaine. DeVry Piter. University? Yeah. Oh, That's go, fun. go uh, box. Go Golas. Jellies. <laughs> Piter and Charmaine, his parents, who were both actually part of the Ixian ruling body known as the Inquisitors of Ix. We've come across them in this book as well. Now, politics has always been a part of Malky's life. And in fact, he proved his exceptionalism very early when he came up with this brilliant scheme to oust three Inquisitors and to actually install his own mother as the leader of the Inquisitors at the age of 10. Oh my God. What were you doing at 10? Because you were not ousting politicians <laughs> and installing your mother as president. That's for sure. No, I was not, as it turns out. <laughs> I was trying, yeah, but I couldn't come I. up with a good plan. Yeah, me neither. It's tough. I had he a bunch of Laza tigers and I didn't know how to use them. <laughs> <laughs> Should have used two. I used one. <laughs> Malky pulled it off, though. And while he wasn't officially connected to this coup until many, many years later, rumors of his involvement actually made him quite popular. He was highly sought after and respected by his peers and elders in the upper echelons of Ixian society. Wow. Now, after finishing his schooling, Malky was appointed as a minor clerk in Ixian intelligence. But this was just a cover. This was just a (gasps) fake job, Leo. He's laundering money. (laughs) (laughs) Our guy was actually being trained for a much higher purpose. Smuggling cocaine into Tijuana. (laughs) Probably that, for sure. (laughs) But he was also getting extra secret trainings, and Ixian Intelligence was feeding him all of this extra information in order to prepare him for what comes. Now, we're told that in 13,659, at just the age of 27, Malky was put on permanent retainer by the Inquisitors, and this gave him the freedom to travel the galaxy, which he basically did a ton over the next decade. He spent a decade traveling the entire galaxy on both official business and just for fun. And this gave him a first-hand understanding of Leto's empire. He saw planets and people all across Leto's imperium with his own eyes. And the Inquisitors at this point felt, all right, buddy, you're ready. We've trained you. You are going to be 
Ixian's ambassador to Lord Leto. Now, it's no secret throughout the book that Leto really liked Malky a lot. That old rogue, he keeps calling him, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Dune Encyclopedia explains, quote, In the new Ixian ambassador, Leto found a clever, oddly courageous man who seemed not to be in the least intimidated by the emperor's godhead, end quote. Yeah. Think on our ideas about administrators today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bold. Now, Malky, for his part, also actually found pleasure in working alongside the god emperor because he, quote, discovered that his sharp honed intellect and wit were finally being challenged in the manner for which they were trained, end quote. He met an intellectual match. I mean, at 10, he's like overthrowing politicians. So smart kid. I also, reading between the lines, for which he was trained, for which his wit and intellect were trained, this reads to me like he is the beta test of Hui, right? Oh, like he, yeah. He was oh, yeah. taught and trained in all of these very specific secretive ways growing up so that by the time he's 10, he's overthrowing fucking inquisitors, not accidentally. You know, surely innate knowledge and innate talent and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But yeah. look at all the unspoken things in that sentence. For sure. Finally, he's being engaged on his level because this is the level he's been trained to be at to For match sure. Leto. Yeah, most definitely. Now, the two have, I suppose, what you could call a friendship as much as you can be friends with a god emperor for a number of years. But... That friendship ends in 13,712 when Malky is recalled back to Ix by the Inquisitors against his wishes, by the way. He was real pissed about this. But the Inquisitors needed him back on the planet because, drumroll, they needed him to train Hui Nori to be a part of her education. And so that's what he's been up to since 13,712. He left Leto's court, returned to Ix and spent decades raising and training Hui Nori for the role she is to play in this book. And that's what we know. Malki and Leto have not seen each other since. They had respect for each other. They had some sort of loose friendship and companionship. It's clear Leto enjoyed his company, but eventually Malki had other work to do. And now we're seeing the results of that work in Hui Nori. Indeed we are. All right, and our second morsel today, Atreides KK cells. Okay. If you played Animal Crossing, you're like, oh, they play guitar? No, no, no. <laughs> Different KK. That's a deep cut. I know, but love I, again, love them. In today's reading, Moneo makes it clear to Leto that he fears spice because of the Atreides proclivity for prescient visions. Mm. He's like, it's the curse of Atreides. Oh. Leto's like, calm down, <laughs> you dramatic fool. <laughs> and as usual, if you dig into the Dune Encyclopedia, they got a whole lot. They got extreme mm. details on why the Atreides in particular have this Proclivity, again, to use the word, it's a good word, to visions of the future. Yeah. And ultimately, it all comes down to something known as KK cells located in the Kurlicke Klamst, something like that, uh, center of the brain, which is responsible for time-space awareness. Mm -hmm. And this is made up. This is something yeah. that is not real. Right. But I will point out 
the there's a lot of people who have this mistaken belief. Abu, how many senses do humans have? Sight, sound, touch, taste. <laughs> Four. I feel like there's five. Smell. Smell. Let's try and smell. Five. Five senses. So there are five classic senses. But <laughs> there are. That wasn't even supposed to be as much of a bit as it was. But just so everyone knows, this is a uh -huh. morsel inside of a morsel. Although the specific number is not agreed upon unanimously within the scientific community, humans have between like 16 and 29 senses. Whoa. And it's a lot of things. It's things like nausea, hunger, knowing where your limbs are in space, proprioception, oh. I think it's called. Yeah. We do have a sense of time. Like we have a sense of time. We have a sense of hot and cold. And these are like dedicated paths that our neurons can communicate information that is beyond just are you touching it or are you not touching it Interesting. Like, there is i am touching something and then there's also like is this thing hot or cold and those are different and you can yeah. be through different types of brain injuries you can become unaware of certain things that you used to be cognizant of anyway huh. so all of that to say humans do have a sense of time and space which you can argue are the same thing so this is fictional but it's not that crazy it's just right. kind of a another thing yeah it is fun though if you ever want to just look up all of the human senses because it's like i think there's a list of like 22 23 that i have seen but back to this fiction kk cells in the section of the brain this center in the brain this kk center in the brain is quite small and rudimentary in most humans but ingesting spice stimulates the growth of kk cells from that center in the brain. Mm -hmm. And in fact, this KK cell growth is the main reason spice is a highly addictive substance. Ooh. You know, you're kind of generating more and more and then it becomes less effective and you need more. And then you've got Alia out here overdosing on her fucking <laughs> yeah. trying to have prescient visions. Yeah. So Benny Gesserit's studies reveal that the women who are most capable of becoming reverend mothers often also have well-developed Kerlikakremst centers. Mm -hmm. So there's also a positive correlation there. You have this time-space awareness center in your brain. If it's more developed, you have an easier time of becoming a reverend mother. Yes. Because reminder, yep. it's not guaranteed, and a lot of Benny Gesserit have died attempting yep. to become reverend mothers. Now, this trait has also been theorized to be genetically linked, and so then experiments have been done on the Kerlikakremst center in human brains for example guild steersmen the actual guild navigators who are guiding the ships through time mm -hmm. and space mm -hmm. are genetically mutated and through selective breeding and just everything to ensure they have as highly developed kulikar kramst centers as possible yeah make them as sensitive to spice and visions as possible totally so we do have now this kind of pattern we've got this kk center and the Bene Gesserit benefit from it, become more easily reverend mothers. The Space Guild steersmen also breeding to have as big of centers as possible. Right. Because size matters, folks. <laughs> Your KK size matters. <laughs> and of course, we can see where this is going. Uh-huh. Genetics. Uh-huh. Breeding. Okay. Bene Gesserit. <laughs> oh. Paul. Hello. Heard of him. Quisatz Hatterak. Boom. Boom. So 
the Atreides. I mean, because of Benny Gesserit involvement in breeding programs, but also kind of just coincidentally are predisposed to having naturally large and well-developed Kerlikerkrampst centers in their brains. Right. And again, because of Benny Gesserit breeding, but also just, again, it kind of seems like it's just sort of a natural thing. So, you know, that yep. family's taller than average. That family has weirdly nice smelling body odor. <laughs> House Atreides, they got them big KK centers. Mm. <laughs> it's a it's a very specific. Is that a KK center in your pocket or <laughs> you're just happy to see me? Did you move your brain down there? What's happening? <laughs> Yes. Leto's like, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. I don't have a skull and no genitals. <laughs> Thanks, Leto. So anyway, this makes the Atreides, this kind of innate, well-developed KK center within Atreides, makes them highly sensitive to prescient visions from spice, but presumably also makes them potentially very addicted to it or more yeah. prone to addiction. Yeah. So yeah. There you go. Now we know. The Kurlicker Kranst section center. <laughs> so fun to say. It is so much fun. I love German. German's fun to say. Yeah. Yeah. Leto's got a big old one. It's the size of a watermelon at this point. That's right. All right, folks. That's our episode today. Indeed. We've done it yet we again. Did it. Two more chapters down. The dominoes are falling. <sighs> yeah. Someday we'll see the end of this book. Yeah. Some 900 meetings to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have some homework for you as usual. For the next book club episode, make sure that you have read the next two chapters, chapters 29 and 30. And if your copy of the book is different than ours, then read up to the chapter that ends on the sentence, quote, Afterward, our betrothal will be announced. End quote. Oh my God. Hello, wedding bells. Who do you think that is? Um, we'll see. Moneo Antioch? <laughs> That would be the fucking twist of the century. Duncan Idaho and a D-Wolf. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, D-Stars. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> it's like D-Stars. <laughs> well, before we let you go, we want to remind you of some ways to support the show and, of course, keep in touch with us, <laughs> which we forgot in a previous episode. We didn't do it in the uh, Ganema episode. Oh, We whoops. didn't say our email address. Well, just... Play this one twice, folks, to yeah, make yeah, up yeah. for that one. Just, just, yeah. Listen to that one until right when we start ending the episode, and then, yeah, cut to this one. Perfect, perfect. And naturally, let's start with the best way to support us, the best way to show your support of the podcast and help us do what we do, becoming a patron at yes. patreon.com slash gamjabar. You'll get cool benefits like ad-free episodes, weekly blooper clips, and an invite to the Discord server. So if you're like Moneo and you're like, I don't like ads. I'm afraid of ad breaks, Lord. Right. If you're afraid of ads, consider becoming a patron and join us over at patreon.com slash gamjabar. That's right. And another great way to support the show is to check out our merch store at gamjabarshop.com. Mm. Maybe you also have a betrothal announcement coming up. <laughs> yeah. Why not do it? In a May Thy Knife Chip and Shatter shirt designed by Leah Wiggins himself, folks. True. We've got art, apparel, mugs, tote bag, and so much more on our merch store, gamjabarshop.com. Make that betrothal something to remember. Yeah. I mean, engagement ring, 
kind of played out, kind of cliche. Engagement walk without rhythm sucks. Hello. Hello. That's love. That's love. You walk with that marriage every step without rhythm. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) That's a stretch, but I think we made it work. (laughs) It's a stretch. Yeah. Some (laughs) engagement wall art. (laughs) (laughs) Well, finally, and I'm not going to forget to say it this time, we love to hear from you. So yes. email us at gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. I'm sure the people finished the Ganema episode and went, how do I get in contact how, with how them? I've possibly? never heard. <laughs> <laughs> email us at gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Whether you are responding to our desperate requests for your interpretations of dense, weird passages in the book, yes, or you're just saying hi or sharing some fun anecdotes about what yeah. this show means to you, send us your thoughts as you read along with us. Please do. Gumjabarpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. It's the name of our first son. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a giant, big old Kolika cramps section. Oh, the biggest Kolika cramps section you've yeah. ever seen. We were holding him. It was just like, oh my God, the size of this child's Kolika cramps center. <laughs> <laughs> it's off the charts. And the doctors were like, what the fuck? Keep this Should child we... away from oregano. <laughs> <laughs> He's hypersensitive to it. Hypersensitive. Because of his giant, girthy, curlicker cramps <laughs> center. <laughs>there is no real ending it's just the place where you stop the recording but this podcast is always one step beyond logic so help spread the word of muadib and leave us a review on apple podcasts and spotify and be sure to check out the other shows on the lore party podcast network on loreparty.com you can also follow us on twitter and instagram at lore underscore party we're also on tiktok at gamjabar podcast thank you so much for listening and remember Whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.